the question often comes up, and I mean very often, about the words in Hebrews, it's Hebrews 10, 26, that say, uh, for when we, if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now that puts a lot of fear into people, thinking, man, if I sin, if I sin willfully, the blood of Jesus isn't going to cover me, because I've received the knowledge of the truth, and yet I've gone and sinned. And so uh, there's no sacrifice for me. The, the problem with that is that, for one thing, in so many verses in the Bible, you can't just look at that one verse and, and build a doctrine out of it. You've got to look at the context. There's some awesome context here. For one thing, you've got the, the book of Hebrews as a whole. If you read the book of Hebrew, Hebrews from uh, start to finish, you've got this, you, you get this picture that Jesus is superior to the Old Covenant. Jesus and his sacrifice, his one sacrifice, is superior to everything that happened in the Old Covenant. <laughs> the animal sacrifices, uh, the, all that, that blood that was shed, the Levite system, uh, all the priestly system, all of that, everything in the Old Covenant, the laws uh, that people had to follow but were only found guilty, all of that is done away with. And is, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ is superior to all that and takes away all of the sin uh, that was committed under the Old Covenant and all the sin that we uh, would commit today. But uh, that's the greater context of Hebrews. But there's some immediate context here as well in, in Hebrews 10. If you back up just to uh, verse 16 or so, uh, God is talking, the writer's quoting God, saying that um, he's going to do this new covenant. He's going to make this new covenant. Uh, I'll put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. He, uh, and then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. See, that's the new covenant. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. At least it's a big part of it. The writer of Hebrews then goes on to say here in verse 18, Now, there, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Why is there no longer an offering for sin? Because it's been taken away. They've been remissed. There is remission of sin. God remembers their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And so, because of that one sacrifice, there is no other sacrifice. There no longer remains an offering for sin. It's been done once and for all. You see, when I sin, I can't say, Oh, God, I'm so sorry that I did that. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. And then God says, oh, okay, you've apologized. You said you're sorry. You feel bad for your sin, so I'll forgive you. That's not how it works. <laughs> now, it's, it's okay. I can apologize. It's part of a relationship with God. I can apologize. I can feel bad for what I've done. And, and, and I can hope that by his grace, I'll move on to better things. But none of that, my feeling bad for my sin, my apologizing to God, my confessing my sins over and over again, none of that will cause God to forgive me. Why? Because it's already been done. <laughs> again, God says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And the, the writer of Hebrews says, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So there's nothing that I can do as an offering for my sin because the one sacrifice of Jesus... The one offering of Jesus took care of it once and for all. So anyway, the writer goes on here 
Therefore, brethren, having a having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, how can I have my heart sprinkled from a from an evil conscience and my body washed with pure water? Is it by me? Again, is it by me uh, confessing all my sins? Is it by me uh, doing the best that I can do to not sin? Is it by me doing all that I can do to avoid evil? Well, not that that stuff is bad. You know, it's not bad to avoid evil. Uh, but that's not how my heart is sprinkled from an evil conscience and how my body is washed with pure water. It's by the blood of Jesus. It's only by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that I can have my heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and my body washed with pure water. I can't produce that pure water. I can't wash myself with uh, anything that I do. It's all the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now what promise is he talking about? Well, back uh, in chapter 6, for when God... For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And uh, so that's the promise that God made. It was God swearing by himself. See, this new covenant is not dependent upon my promises to God. It's not dependent upon me working hard enough for God, but it's about God making a promise to himself uh, for men, indeed, swear by something greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them and end to all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Again, it's about God swearing by himself, not about what I can do. I'm weak in and of myself. There's nothing that I can do. In the old covenant, when people did things and did things and did things and tried to keep the law and tried to keep the law and tried to keep the law, God only found fault with them. So he had to make this new covenant that wasn't dependent upon what we do, but it was dependent and remains dependent forever upon his oath to himself, him swearing by himself. So the writer goes on here, let's, uh, so, so let's, you know, he who promised is faithful. So it's not about my faithfulness, it's about his faithfulness. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, it's not about you've got to go to church. You better be there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening, and whenever else the doors are open. It's about assembling ourselves together because it's a good thing to do. We can encourage each other and we can uh, stir one another up towards love and good works. It's, it's just a helpful thing. It's a good thing to do, uh, to meet together. It's not a must or a should or a have to. It's just a good thing to do. So then we get to verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And so, again, let's go back to the context that I've been sharing here, going back to verse 18. Now, where there is a remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. 
See, that's the, the remission of sin was through the blood of Jesus Christ. God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And so when God says that, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of this new covenant, there is no longer an offering for sin. For, so if we sin willfully, after having received this knowledge of the truth, there is, there remains, no, uh, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So it's not that when I sin willfully, that the blood of Jesus doesn't cover me. It's that there is no other sacrifice for sins. It's either I choose the blood of Jesus, or as this goes on to say, if I don't choose the blood of Jesus, uh, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. <laughs> That's what happens if you re reject the blood of Jesus. When, uh, now, some people would say, and, and I agree with this, that uh, if we sin willfully, that the sin that's being talked about here is, is the sin of rejecting the blood of Jesus Christ. And some people would interpret this as if, I, if we sin willfully, that is, acts of sin that we do. Either way, no matter which way you look at it, <laughs> there is no other sacrifice except the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is the very thing that takes our sin away. So, if we look at this and think, well, if I sin willfully, after having received the knowledge of, of the truth, then Jesus Christ's sacrifice won't cover me. That is defeating the point. That's going against what the writer is trying to say all along here. It is the blood of Jesus. It is the one offering of Jesus that has taken our sin away. There is no other sacrifice for sins. And so, it's either choose Jesus, or, as it says here, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment, do you suppose, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Well, how is it that we trample the Son of God underfoot? count the blood of the covenant by which uh, we were sanctified a common thing and insult the spirit of grace? Is it by sinning? No. It's by when we sin, we don't go, we, we don't rely upon the one sacrifice of Jesus. But in this case, in the book, in the Hebrews case, they were going back to animal sacrifices. They were going back to old covenant things. And the writer here is saying, no, you can't go back to that stuff. There's only one sacrifice that takes care of your sins, through which there's remission of sins. Only one sacrifice. Otherwise, if you reject that, if you reject the one sacrifice of Jesus, if you reject that, then you trample the Son of God underfoot. You count that blood, His blood, of the covenant by which you were sanctified as a common thing, and you insult the Spirit of grace. It's not by sinning that we insult the Spirit of grace. It's by rejecting Jesus' one perfect sacrifice that we insult the Spirit of grace. I hope this clears it up. I know a lot of people, you look at that one verse and, and you get scared. I know it used to scare me until I started looking at all of this in context. But the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that one offering was enough for you forever. Rely upon that. Forever. 